everyone. Welcome to There's a System to This Madness podcast. I am your host, Osaze Shabazz. Each week, I talk about the difficult situations we face by peeling back the layers of politics, education, and culture. Today is March 22nd, 2022. Let's go ahead and get into this. Um, there's a lot of things I want to talk about, so I'll probably just be rambling and venting a little bit. But um, first thing, I think that just off the top of my head, I can't help but notice how fast the U.S. Senate comes up with issues to vote on and how fast, how organized, how structured it is on certain entities, aspects, subjects, like the package for Ukraine. When it came down to voting on an amount and what was needed, of course, the Democrats, they were able to slip in the issue of um, the extension for a shutdown that was coming up. It wasn't soon, but it was coming up. And pretty much they got it pushed back to September, I think. But it's just how they expedite this issue. But when it comes to issues that are connected to United States citizens, i.e. African-American issues that benefit African-Americans, we're still waiting. But, you know, Russia invades Ukraine and immediately a package is put together compromising is done and voila it's approved you know it's just it's just amazing how you know people keep saying well it's hard for them to come together but it's amazing that they do come together for issues that are in their minds relevant speaking of ungrateful I received an email the other day from the DNC, you know, reaching out to supporters and um, grassroots organizations, you know, pretty much begging for help. Because that's actually what the tagline said. We are begging for your help and how these organizations can just, you know, ask for this type of help, this organization, the Democrat Party, could ask for help from groups of people but have not done shit for them. I I, I just don't get that. And like I said, the email, the letter starts off, we're begging for your help, and I'm thinking right then and there, you lost me. I mean, just like imagine you are trying to appease a woman and you're begging her to be with you. I don't know. Speaking for myself, that would be repulsive to me. To start off trying to beg someone for your help, especially when you realize you hadn't done shit for them or you can't. You really, you can't do shit or you refuse to go 100% for them. So now, after telling them what you're going to do and realizing that you hadn't done shit for them, now they beg, now you got to beg them with the hope that you figuring if all your begging is going to make you forget that you hadn't done shit for them. Then the information in the letter 
starts focusing on what the Republican Party has done in regards to the negative actions. You know, what the Republican Party has done to hinder President Biden from doing what he set out to do. This is this is how your letter is formatted, telling me your excuses of the reasonings you can't or you haven't accomplished anything that you said that prompted me to vote for you. But there's nothing in the letter that talks about anything that the Democrats have accomplished. Because in actuality, they haven't accomplished nothing. But they want to talk about what the Republicans have done that is detrimental to people of color, so to speak, and what the Republicans have done to hinder the Democrats from doing the things that they set out to do. And mind you, the Democrats control the House and the Senate and the White House, but yet hadn't been able to do nothing. And the Republicans are hindering them. I mean, imagine that. You, on paper, have control of everything, but you sent out a letter begging me to understand why you can't get shit done. Think, think about that. But yet, you want me to continue to put you back in office so you can continue making excuses. So let's say the midterms, everything stays the same. They retain the majority and control of the House, the Senate. So what, I'm going to say I want four more years or the next two years of listening to excuses? So you have four years of a presidency that had full control of the House and the Senate and you ain't get shit done? And then after that term is over, you're going to come back, send me another one of these letters, begging me and listing all the excuses and not listing any of your accomplishments. But this is what I'm supposed to be sympathetic. But from day one, the promises... My lifestyle, you know, nothing has changed because all you got for me is excuses. And I love how the letter, the email closed out with. If you don't do something. Donald Trump. Could possibly. Be a factor, and I'm thinking this is for the midterms. What does Donald Trump got to do with the midterms? He ain't fucking running. But see, that's that's supposed to make, you know, people jump like, oh, Lordy B, Donald Trump is coming back. You know, I give Trump credit for one thing. He made it clear he wasn't president for everybody. He was president for those who voted for him. And he gave them, although mostly of it was rhetoric, he said to them what they wanted to hear. For his four years, he spewed the hatred and misogynist talk that his followers wanted to hear. And that was satisfying to them. You know, we wanted something different. You know, we wanted, you know, action. And all we got was talk. Because up to this point, 
what can people that voted for Joe Biden, particularly black people, what could they say that they got? Because the two major things that they wanted was voting rights and police reform. But um, what do we get? Nothing. Oh, yeah, we did get, we got Juneteenth. We did get that, you know, some bullshit that wasn't even on the agenda. And, you know, they probably going to throw in that, you know, there's a black woman that's a Supreme Court justice nominee. You know, if she's confirmed, you know, I'm sure they're going to pretty much tout that as an accomplishment for for the Democrats because, you know, that was something that Joe Biden said that, you know, he was going to do. And I guess that's something that, you know, he's he's living up to. So, you know, we'll wait and see. Um, of course, you know, since the last podcast, let's talk about the Ukraine situation, you know, the um, relationship that Ukraine has with NATO. And, you know, I kind of was like, it just made me think about how does the relationship that African Americans have with white politicians in regards to them making promises to being a part of a group and then not come through when they are needed. You know, now Ukraine has an idea of what it's like to be America's bitch because pretty much that's what African-Americans are in regards to the Democrats. They the Democrats bitch because pretty much you made all these promises and said you're going to do this and you're going to do that and nothing, nothing came about in the whole thing. Nothing at all. So pretty much, you know, happy Juneteenth Day, uh, Ukraine. Now you know what it's like to feel, <laughs> now you know what it's like to feel like us. Um, let's see. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about since we were talking about Ukraine, is like when one country imposes sanctions on another country based on the rulership. To me, the only entities that are affected are the people of that country. So, I mean, you put sanctions on Russia to get at Putin, but how's that affecting Putin? It has more harm and detrimental to the citizens of Russia than it does to Putin. And see, what, what people don't understand is that it's not like Putin woke up and just said, you know what? I don't have nothing to do. It's a nice, bright, sunny day. I'm going to just invade Ukraine. Yeah, I know, you know, I'm being, you know, silly when I say um, that it's, it was that simple because the whole relationship with Russia, Ukraine, and NATO, this goes back, this goes back to when Trump was in office. It was something that he warned Ukraine about. You know, of course, the story was Ukraine used to be part of Russia and all this type of stuff, and Russia been trying to get it back, and then, you know, they went to NATO, which pretty much they became more ally, more friendly with Western countries and all this type of stuff. Russia didn't like it. Pretty much told them, hey, you need to pull out of that shit. If you're not, we're going to kick your ass. And Russia, Putin, they living up to their promise. You know, it makes me wonder, what if Trump had won a second term? You know, would this have would this have happened 
in my opinion, I believe it would have. I just believe that if Trump was in office, I think Trump would have put Ukraine out because what Trump was trying to do, he was he had talked about it in his first well, his his only term. But while he was in office, he wanted to pull the United States out of NATO. Which, of course, if the United States would have left NATO and left, you know, countries like Ukraine high and dry, they would have had no choice but to leave. Which, of course, Russia wouldn't even have to send over not one personnel. Ukraine would have just they would have just said, OK, we're coming back home. But, you know, uh, Putin's boy lost. And pretty much he's like, OK, all my tricks, all my dirty play to um, get Trump in office and then try to get him a second term. It didn't work. So pretty much now I got to do it the hard way. And pretty much, you know, he's invading Ukraine. But I love how the United States, you know, going back to the sanctions, you know, they trying to freeze Russia or Putin's assets and thinking that this is going to just hinder him. And then I saw something the other day where it says Putin's net value was like a hundred thousand something dollars. It's like, you know, whoever published that, you know, they're a fucking idiot. Putin is probably the richest man on the planet. Not only is he the richest man in terms of monetary value, but not to mention he controls a country. So when you read how the United States, the president of the United States is coming to the podium and saying we're like freezing Russia's assets in the United States, I'm like, do they not realize Putin has resources and assets all over the world? So what 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 are you freezing? A fifth, uh, 5% of his net worth? Some of his investments, his American homes. I mean, what what are you what are you doing? really that you think is first of all that he already hadn't figured that you was going to do and you thinking that you have some type of effect on this man the only thing that concerns me is that i heard there rumors that putin has alzheimer's which you know, I don't know which direction that can go in because he could have that mindset that he just don't give a fuck. Or, you know, it might make him have a change of heart. So, I, you know, I, and I think the latter statement I just made is straight bullshit. I think they need to get in there and do something quick because I think if if this is true this dude don't have nothing to lose this dude don't care now maybe hopefully you know he has children hopefully he loved them so hopefully he's thinking you know what if I destroy the world my kids might die along with me destroying the world and I don't want that. And it ain't going to do no good if he destroy the world, protect his kids, and his kids are the only two people on the planet. You know, that that's not good either. So hopefully, you know, somebody can appeal to his self-conscious. But I, I think really his issue is he wants to put Russia back the way it was before he came in office. And I think those countries that were part of the Soviet Union that left, and then like I said, it's a slap in the face for them to join um, 
have allies with with the West, because of course you know the West, although the, you know they're supposed to be backing Ukraine up with resources, military resources, and eventually, I think they're going to start sending that stuff over. It's it, it's kind of like the way when Afghanistan and Russia were going toe to toe, and the United States was supplying weapons to the Afghanistan military, but of course we realize. Those Afghanistan um, countries, they or that country, kept their weapons and they used that shit on the United States, the training and everything on the United States, which resulted in a 20 year war. But I mean, we will see. We'll see. Like I said, hopefully they can appeal to this guy's self conscious. Um, it was something that I wanted to talk about, and I saw it on a, I guess, a TikTok post, and it was about insurance, and it made sense. It, 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 it when I saw it, it just made one of those moments, like, oh my god, that is so pure and correct. How did I not see that? But the statement was that if insurance companies were involved in or had something to lose with the death of black people, police shootings would stop. And it was an individual, what they were saying is that if more black people had insurance, life insurance, death insurance, and the number of killings were taking place, the insurance company would get involved with curbing police brutality because every time they kill a black person, they got to pay out. And everybody know one of the biggest lobbies in the country is the insurance company. So every time police officers are killing black people, beating them up, the insurance, you know, imagine if, if they had insurance, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a known fact. Black people don't have, they don't, they don't insure, insure themselves. I've heard comedians talk about this. Black people need to get life insurance, death insurance. So when they die, if they got a million dollar policy, whether, you know, through be, uh, police brutality or just natural death, when they die, they're leaving wealth behind to their next generation. It's, it's simple. It is amazing. It's something simple, but it's something that black people do not do. You know, even things like burial insurance, you know, a, an insurance policy where you leave behind $10,000, $15,000, you know, you give instructions in a will, which is something that black people don't have also, and have instructions on your last days, what you want. Whether you want to be cremated, put in a coffin, uh, do you want them to put you in a blue suit, black suit, however you want them, your instructions to be read. But if black people had death insurance, and insurance companies were paying out. Think, think about if 90% of all black people, I can't, I don't want to even say 90% shit. 60%, let's say 60% of all the black people in the last 10 years that was murdered by police officers, if they had insurance where an insurance company had to pay out anywhere between quarter of a million dollars or million dollars or more to their dependent loved ones, you would think that it's a fact. The insurance companies would go to bat against police brutality, and that shit would end instantly, instantly. 
It's a no-brainer. Like I said, when I read this, I was like, God damn, how can, how did I not see that? Think of that. But, you know, I'm no, I'm not the only person that's seen that, that, you know, it was on TikTok of all places. So I'm curious to see, you know, if that's going to take traction. I know it's not, but I'm, I'm just curious. Another thing I wanted to talk about, um, the NBA, COVID, New York, basketball, Kyrie Irving. You know, it's, it's what crossed my mind was I saw a photo of Kyrie Irving sitting two rows back at the Barclays Center watching a basketball game. When I say two rows back, two rows back from his teammates, from their bench. He was surrounded by unmasked individuals at the game, and he himself did not have a mask on. Like I said, he's two rows back from his teammates' bench. So basically, he's three rows away from being on the court. But he cannot play basketball. But he can come watch the game because New York has this retarded ass law that indicates that people that work for the private sector cannot participate, I guess, in the work environment, which includes playing basketball. So of course, you know, for those that know the story, Kyrie Irving has been playing on the road. And, you know, pretty much, you know, I really don't know what his average is. I do know that, you know, they had something, something occurred and he dropped 50 points. And then I think another night he dropped 60. So, I mean, he gets hot, but it's just, you know, the Brooklyn Nets start of the season, you know, they were supposed to be, you know, this super squad, you know, since then they've lost James Harden and things to that nature. But they supposed, you know, supposed to be one of the super squads, and pretty much, um, I think they might be the tenth seed or something like that for the play-in. And it was interesting about this law. This law was put in place. Yes, New York had out of control COVID numbers, and something needed to be done. You know, at this recording, I think New York is third behind California and Texas in regards to the number of COVID cases. So, you know, they're still there. They still, you know, they're still serious there. But I'm just thinking when you look at the picture of him sitting two rows behind his teammates, he can come to the Barclays Center to watch a game. In fact, I was going back to the thing, the circumstance that took place Somebody pretty much snitched on him, and he was in the Nets locker room, their training facility, and the NBA got hold of it, found out, and fined the Brooklyn Nets, you know, a billion-dollar organization, a whopping $50,000, which, of course, they're NFL players that get fined more than this for hits on each other you know, playing tackle football. So you want to show how serious you are by fining the Brooklyn Nets $50,000 for something that you say is a, a, a law that was imposed by the outgoing mayor and the incoming mayor saw fit to keep it in place. He relaxed some other things. In fact, I think they relaxed the fact that you can go in the Barclays Center as long as you are not trying to play basketball in the Barclays Center. Now, I want to take it a little further because, you know, this is what I really feel. This is not about a New York law because I believe if the NBA the ownership, the organizations really wanted to fight this, 
They could. See, what I believe is that one of their slaves decided to stand up and buck the system. And then they told that slave, if you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to take your money. And that slave who by chance, you know, as you know, went to Duke University and, you know, if you don't know anything about schools like North Carolina, Duke, Stanford, most time these athletes, they have to have some intelligence. Yes, their talents on the basketball courts play a certain part, but very rarely have you heard anything academically from players that go to, you know, Stanford, Duke, Notre Dame, Vanderbilt, Syracuse. And I'm talking about these are like prestige Division One, you know, programs, basketball, football. In most cases, these players have rock solid high school credentials because pretty much to play Division One, you got to have, I think it's a 2.0, and I think you got to have 800 on the SATs. But a lot of these players usually are a little bit above because even a lot of these programs, they got to stay eligible. Very rarely do you hear a player that go to Carolina, that go to Duke and Stanford and all, you know, such and such. Very rarely do you hear somebody say this person, you know, was cheating on an exam. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they probably do it. They just haven't gotten caught throughout the history of the program. If there is an incident, please, I would love to know. But in my lifetime, and I'm partially raised in North Carolina, I've never heard of a school like UNC, Duke, or Stanford having some type of academic scandal. Now, there are other schools in North Carolina where, yeah, there were probation violations. It was mostly like, you know, paying players, boosters and all this type of stuff. But even even Carolina and Duke, you never heard. You never heard things like this. Because I believe that when your foundation is built on academics and education, <laughs> your boosters are even smarter. You know, programs that are just based on football and basketball your boosters are probably grimy, more sleazy. So pretty much you get boosters from all walks of life. However, you know, a, a booster, an alumni from Duke, Wake Forest, Stanford, like I said, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, you know, these almost Ivy League type institutions, you're not going to get that. And see Kyrie Irving. He comes from that background. I don't know how long Kyrie Irving, I don't know if he just did one year. I don't know if he did two years. I don't think, I'm sure he didn't do four years at Duke, but I'm going to say he did two years. He was the number one pick overall out of Duke. But the thing is, he had the mindset to stay academically eligible at Duke University. So you have an idea. And yes, there have been incidents where Kyrie Irving has said some crazy outlandish shit. You know, the world is flat and all that dumb shit. But that's just to get people to draw in to his Twitter feed. So, you know, if people are that naive to believe that shit, you know, you know, shame on them. But either way, you know, when they try to shake that money tree in front of him saying, hey, you're going to lose your dollars. And he's obvious a person that has been had, because I think what Irvin 
has been in the league probably 10 years now. And he has handled his money pretty well. Because, you know, he got he got a mommy and a daddy. When I said when he got a mommy and daddy, he got a mommy and daddy. He know where they at. That he was pretty much raised by them. And if I'm correct, they're professional people. So the thing is, he has a foundation. So he just, when you add his wealth to his already foundation, whether he could dribble a basketball or not, he probably was going to be successful. So it's safe to assume that he has a handle on his money. Yes. Could he want more money? Could he want to handle more money? Absolutely. But he's in that position where he's like, there are things that are more important to me than the money. And see, when you stand on that ground, shit, the whole, the world looks at you crazy. Black people will start talking about you crazy. But you best believe white people, especially the owners, the league, they're going to look at you differently. They're not going to say it in public, but behind closed door, they're concerned about that. You know, it, it, I think about, you know, and this don't have nothing to do with COVID, but I think about like Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys and you know, he was prepared to hold out because, you know, one thing Jerry Jones got right, Dak Prescott benefited from being the Cowboys quarterback. His endorsements came from that star on his helmet. Dak Prescott probably was making anywhere between 40 to $100 million in endorsements and simply because he is the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. So, of course, Jerry Jones is like, Pretty much, you should give us a hometown discount. Dak Prescott, like, fuck that. Shit, them hometown hits ain't discounted. The scrutiny that I'm getting is not discounted. At this time, my value in this market is on this level. And sure enough, Dak Prescott got what he wanted. But the thing was, because Dak Prescott was a fourth round pick he was handling his money like he was a fourth round pick and see it's a difference it's a big difference so you know when i think it's like you know let's we, we can even talk about you know colin kaepernick you know all of a sudden there's a video of him throwing the football around so everybody's like saying well do colin kaepernick want to come back you know do he want another chance at playing football. Now, Kaepernick hadn't said nothing. It's just people seeing the video of him throwing the football to um, an NFL receiver, you know, both of them practicing. Now, you know, so people are automatically making the speculation. But, you know, my thing is this with Kaepernick. I mean, I, I'm pretty much speaking for myself. To me, Colin Kaepernick has received way more accolades for his stance. You know, his, he got a deal with Nike. He has a TV show. He has documentary. He's made just as much money after football than he has since playing football. But one of the key aspects is that the money that he made while playing football, he handled it well. You know, and when I say handle, you know, he ain't going out here making, having 10 fucking babies and shit, got 10 cars, seven houses and shit. You know, of course, if you got the 10 kids, you got to have probably five, seven, probably 10 baby mamas and they all want they cut. He don't have that. He has none of that shit. It's my belief that just because you have physical skills, 
talents, it does not necessarily mean that this is what you was meant to do. I believe that Colin Kaepernick was meant to do what he's doing right now. I believe football was his launching pad, but I believe the stance, because you got to realize all of these football players, they see the police brutality. They see the injustice, but 99% of them kept quiet. Only a few has spoken out, but it was only Kaepernick. And you can say, um, what was his name? Eric, was it Eric? Um, I can't think of the brother. I want, well, I want to say Eric Wright, but I, I don't know. That might be easy. But I can't think of his name. But, it's, you know, Kaepernick's teammate. But if you notice, you hardly hear from the other guy. Because Kaepernick took it a little further. And from that point, I believe that that was Kaepernick's calling. You know, just like, you know, I, I, I'm a diehard fan of the late Reggie White. You know, the guy was a ferocious player. I still, they were showing highlights of him in the Super Bowl where New England did the stupidest thing in the second half and put single coverage on Reggie White. I mean, he threw that offensive line lineman around like he was a rag doll and recorded three sacks, Super Bowl record. Ferocious football player. But people don't understand the best thing you could ever hear and see Reggie White do is sing Amazing Grace with his voice, his Stature is just something that's just, it just, it, something overcomes you to hear him sing that. Because there's no doubt in my mind, that was his calling. It just, for him to die at such, you know, a young age like that, you know, pretty much right after he um, retired from football. He didn't, wasn't even um, able to make it to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he, he's in the Hall of Fame. But the, I think the five-year period after your retirement, you're eligible to go into the Hall of Fame, which, of course, he was first ballot. But still, he didn't live long enough. So somewhere in between his retirement and him making it to the Hall of Fame, he was gone. But he was, he was a Baptist minister. You know, Alan Page of the Minnesota Vikings, the Purple People Eaters, you know, all pro Hall of Fame, but he was also a justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court. So it just it just make you say that football or whatever you do, it might be your launching, you know, even just, you know, you go to college and you go to college for one thing. I started out as an engineer major, left, went to the Marine Corps. My whole views change. I focus on, you know, human service and wanted to become more like a social worker. And that's what I do today. Speaking of that, I'm going to wrap this up. Let's talk about the nature of human beings lately. The things that I hear going on particularly, you know, in the black neighborhoods. I mean, we're just, we're just doing some dumb shit. I mean, it's like every morning I wake up, somebody's killing somebody. And I mean, it's like, it's more younger. And it's like, what, what, what is it? It's like, it's just, there is no caring for nobody. It's like everybody's putting themselves first, but at the expense of other people. Yeah, I get it. 
you got to look out for yourself. You got to look out for your family. But it's like even watching people drive. You just watch people run through stop signs, not caring about nothing. Not caring that all it takes is another asshole to be running that stop sign. And you're not even you're not worried about what could happen. You know, when you refuse to wear a mask indoors, you know, like I said, driving your car and texting. We just we don't care about nothing. You know, like I said, I do therapy in a form a form of therapy. Pretty much I help people learn skills and find resources to um, combat their diagnosis, basically helping people to live with their diagnosis. I'm a firm believer. It's not about just telling the people that you're depressed or you have ADD and all that type of stuff. It's like, how do you live with that? How do you function in society with this diagnosis? But it's like, we just don't care. It's another variations of just mental illness, mental sickness. We just don't care. And what we value, like, you know, people look at stuff on the news and you don't hear nothing. But one of the headlines is about the, you know, the Kardashians. You know, I posted on there that, you know, this day 20th anniversary and I pretty much, and I can honestly say, I have not watched not one of their shows. I mean, I didn't realize it was that long. That's crazy as hell. Housewives of Atlanta, I never watched none of that stuff. There's only a handful of reality shows that I've watched one or two times. I'll be truthful with you. I am just now watching Empire. And that was because on YouTube, I started seeing little clips. And the clips were showing me power moves, you know, in terms of strategic business and things like that. Some of the stuff is ruthless, but it got me interested and now I'm interested. Empire, I think, has been off the air, I think, what, since 2019, something like that. Came on in 2016, 2015. Now I'm just I'm just now watching it, you know. But that's that's how that's how I am. Cause I don't chase TV. But it's just, you know, when people are talking about Kim Kardashian's statement, yes, I get it. Kim Kardashian is the daughter of Robert Kardashian. Robert Robert Kardashian was an attorney. He made his fortune, you know, celebrity um, clients. When he died, he left them a little small fortune. Now give them credit. He didn't leave them a billion dollars. They were able to take that money and multiply it. You know, same thing with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, father did not leave him a billion dollars. Donald Trump took what his father, don't get me wrong. A hundred million or something like that is a good start. You know, you ain't gonna get no tears from nobody. But I think when Kim Kardashian made the statement that, you know, kind of like the bootstrap, don't be lazy, get off. I think, you know, and she kind of, you know, she used it kind of harsh because I don't think Kim Kardashian realizes the mindset of her followers. See, she... She's saying if you want to be successful, you need to get off your fucking ass, stop being lazy. And she, you know, I think I'm correct. She used those words. But the thing is, Kim Kardashian is not taking the time to really look at her followers. These are not engineers and professional people. Yeah, I'm sure she got, you know, she got college educated people in there. But most of her followers are pretty much like Instagram models, glamour chicks and all this type of stuff. So when you say things like get off your ass, stop being lazy. So you're talking to a kind of primitive 
followers that they're going to take offense to that. It's just like, you know, people that follow Donald Trump. These are not the intellect. So if he was to say, if you don't have something, it's because you're too lazy or you ain't getting off your ass enough to do it. They're going to take offense to that. So when Kim Kardashian made the statements like that, I don't think she's taking the time to realize who her audience is. She's trying to sound like a motivational speaker, but you can't be a motivational speaker to individuals that pretty much spend their lives for 20 years watching your show, getting their information, getting their marching orders based on what you're doing. You can't say these things to sheep. And the majority of your audience, your fan club base, they're sheeps. You don't have lions. You don't have pit bulls in there. You got sheeps. You got gazelles. <laughs> you, got, you got Pomeranians following you. And you're telling them, you know, that they could be successful. But if they are not, it's because you're not working hard enough. These people, they're not thinking like that. The sponsors of your shows, it's not Schwab and money brokerage firms and Wells Fargo and stuff like that. No, these are pretty much things, makeup companies, uh, companies that tell you to use a certain fabric softener. That's who sponsor your show. Nothing detrimental, nothing motivational. But for you to sit there and say that to your audience, she's really clueless. She really is. And I'm going to end this on that note. As always, I want your feedback. Love to hear what you think. Please follow my, follow my post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Want to hear your comments, your agreements, your disagreements. I want to hear it all. Until then, please stay safe, wear your mask, especially indoors, protect each other, look out for each other, take care of yourselves. But until then, God bless and take care. All right, guys, thanks for listening to There's a System to This Madness podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe. To continue the discussion that we had today, make sure to check out our Facebook page. See y'all next week.